Okay, we are learning Daf Tes Zion. Starting from a few lines down, we're going to be talking about so many different halachas of putting someone in Chayram back and forth today. So the Gemara <coughs> continues and says, How do we know that we could send a Shliach on behalf of a court, of the court of the basin, Mazmina Ladina, and uh, be Mazmin someone to send him uh, an absolute summons that he has to show up? And the question that the Gemara wants to know is, How do we know that we can do it through a Shliach? Maybe it has to be something which has to be done personally. Um, personally through the basin. And that's the Gemara's Chiddush that, in fact, it does not have to be done through the basin, through the Shliach. Moshe sent to call, meaning he sent an agent to go call Dalsman Avriam, the sons of Aliyah. And this is uh, the, by the Adas Korach, where Korach and his, and his rebellion. And it seems that Moshe, what we're going to see, is considered like the basin. It seems like Kaddish Baruch Hu is part of Moshe on the basin, interestingly enough, in the showdown between Korach and Aaron. Um, at any rate, so we're sending a shliach to go, to go call Dalsan Revirim to appear before him. So if I gishlach means that it's not done through Moshe. Personally, Moshe didn't have to meet to lower himself to do that. Says the Gemara, um, uh, another another din. How do we know Bakhlal that there's such a thing as a Hazmana? You know, we're really taking a step back. How do we know that he has to be summoned? How do we know that we can force him um, to come to the courthouse? Maybe if anything, maybe we should go to him. We're trying and we need him to summons. How do we know that we can send him the summons and expect him that he has to come? And if he doesn't, we're gonna hold him, you know, in, 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 in contempt of the court or whatever. How do we know that we have to call him down? Moshe to Karach, you and your whole your whole Ida have to appear uh, tomorrow. So again, the idea is he told him that he had to come to him. says, "How do we know that 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 you that he has to be told that he's coming in front of a great person? Meaning, how do you know?" That when you're summoning the person to the court, that you should tell him that he's coming in front of a great person. That's what we did. We made a point of saying, not just that you're going to come to us, but you're going to come with Hashem. So he was told about that. How do we know that when we tell the defendant, we say you and so-and-so, meaning we tell the person who is facing off if in court. How do we know that that's important, that we, we tell the name of the plaintiff as well to the defendant? Moshe is telling, is sending this message about to, to Korach about who exactly is going to be there. How do we know that there's a set date? You know, it's not just a time, you know, when it's going to come. It's not just right now come, but it's there's a set as a, as a date which is set from the outset when the person has to come to Sib Machar. So has come tomorrow. Simna Bachazim. Now how do we know that that if let's say the person was called to come and he doesn't show up, how do we know that we establish another date after the original date? In other words, we don't excommunicate a person initially if he doesn't show up. We give him a second chance. How do we know there's a time after a time? They called out this excommunication, this ban against Paro, the king of Mitzrayim, because he let the time go by. So what we're talking about it's a nevuah from Yirmiyah. We're talking about how Paro is going to fall. It's a nevuah This is at the times uh, before the destruction of the first base of Mekdash. So it's saying that the enemies of Paro are going to excommunicate him because he didn't appear at the time of the battle against Nebuchadnezzar even though there was a postponement once before. So we see that there was a, that the cheirem, the excommunication is, cap, is happening. The enemies are excommunicating him after he didn't show up once, and then he didn't show up again. So we see the same concept here with the basin. We know these. How do we know that? Let's say the defendant, when he's summoned, he just you know he says he spews bad things about the court. He says really nasty things. How do we know that the agent is allowed to come back and tell the court about it? And that's not considered to be lush and hara. In other words, generally a person is not allowed to say evil speech. So the question is, how do we know that it's not considered to be lush and hara? 
if the court agent comes back and tells the court about it. So the Mar says, "Sif heini and Asham heim tenaker." Moshe said to the Tanasan of Yiram, and they said, "Even if you cut out our eyes, we're not going to go." Right? And it says that that this made Moshe really sad when he heard this. He got very upset about this. So obviously, what happened was is that the agent of the court. Remember, Moshe didn't tell personally go to Tanasan of Yiram. So obviously, what happened was that the agent of the court went back. And told Moshe what that they had said. So we can see that this is in the interest of the court for them to know, you know, who they're dealing with. It's not considered Lashon Hara for the agent of the court to tell the court what the defendant had said. So that's the commandment. And how do we know that we excommunicate a person? How do we know that if he doesn't, he doesn't show up? How do we know that we... We excommunicate a person for doing uh, for doing such a thing. So the Gemara says, "Oru Meiros, curse the Meiros." So Meiros is a person. This is in the times of Devor and Barak. They're fighting the war. Um, Remember that whole thing with Sisera, that story with Yael and Sisera. At any rate, they were calling everyone to go fight the, in the battle. So Meiroz was excommunicated because he didn't respond to their call. So we see that not responding to the court to go to go to do something for a summons, but makes a person excommunicated, even though that wasn't a regular basin. That was like calling them to war. But the Gemara is drawing a parallel for it. Says the Gemara, and the Gemara is going to talk about who this Meiroz guy is. Well, we'll see in a second. Says the Gemara, where do we see? That when we excommunicated a person, we have to say that this is the, the decision of a certain rabbi. No, whichever rabbi is standing behind the ban, how do we know that 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 the person has to be informed that the, of who it was that's behind the ban? The angel of Hashem said, in other words, he was he was Meiros was told that the ban came from Barak, who is the Malach Hashem. How do we know that we the the that we put even Chirim, which is higher than just a curse? In other words, we don't just do a curse; we do a higher thing. And we're going to see, it seems, it seems like, you know, after there's the Nidoy, then eventually we get to the Cherem. Cherem is a higher level. There's physical separation. It's a, it's a deeper curse. No one can learn with him. No one can be hired by anybody. In other words, regular Nidoy, when a person is just excommunicated, we don't have that. He can still be somewhat part of society. He just has, these, you know, this curse on him, this rebuke, this public rebuke. But at a certain point where it gets to a higher level of the Cherem, then he can't even do that. So the Gemara is saying, where do we know that we get all this from? They'll save Oru Aror. Curse, curse. So there's Meiroz again, but it's like a double again. There's an extra. If he's still defiant, then we do an extra thing. How do we know that someone who eats or drinks with someone excommunicated at this point for Cherem or stands in his four hours, how do we know that, that such a thing is bad? says Meiroz, curse are the inhabitants, the people are around him. Knows even his friends and companions, they're cursed if they stay with him after the extra level of Cherem. How do we know that we publicly tell everybody about what this person did? And others, how do we know that we spread it? Normally, you're not allowed to put a person in shame. So the Gemara says, "Zechsev ki lo baba as Hashem." It says, "Curse me, Rose, because they didn't come to help in the war." Amar Ula, Ba'arba me Yeshipur Shamte Barak Lo Meiros. With 400 different chauffeurs, Barak excommunicated Meiros, and it was, it was a super public thing. Who is this Meiros person? Ikadami Gavar Rabba. Some people say he was a great man. Ikadami Kochavav. Actually, the whole thing was just a consolation. He was just a mazel, sister's mazel. He was a star. Totally different approach. Simon and Shemaim Nilchum Kochavim. It says about Meiros in heaven they fought the stars when the battle of Sisera. So according to this approach. It doesn't really seem to work well with the whole previous Gemara. No, the whole previous Gemara sounded like it was excommunication and this and that, what they're learning. It makes a lot more sense in the approach that Meiroz was a great person who didn't come to battle when Barak and uh, Devorah were calling for him to come. So now we're just talking about powers of the court. How do we know that we can declare property of somebody ownerless? When somebody is, not, is being disobedient to the court, not listening, how do we know that the court is able 
to just declare property ownerless. And this is the great power that Gemara often discusses. This is called Hefker, based in Hefker. That even if it's not, you know, a regular court case, Basin has the ability to sell to, to 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 take away somebody's property at their own discretion, um, if as they see fit, if it is necessary. Whoever doesn't come within the next three days, then all his property will be confiscated. So in order to understand what's going on here, the context is Ezra. Ezra sees that the people. Um, the people had intermarried. And again, Ezra is trying to lead people back to Israel and try to get them back up a tshuva movement. So Ezra said that um, when everybody would gather in Yerushalayim within three days, so everyone better show up. And then he's going to, you know, be giving them the whole tshuva thing about not intermarrying. But the idea is whoever doesn't show up, all their property is going to be, is going to be removed from them. <clears throat> How do we know that if people don't listen to the court, you can fight with them with Latino Machino, and you can curse them, you can hit them with Alchino and you can rip out their hair, and even force them to swear um, that they're not going to do it again. How do we know that we get like so so physical, um, so physical, and, and fight with the people who don't listen to the court? To see if I read you, mom, so I fought with them. I fought with them. I beat them. I tore their hair out, and I put them under oath. This is with Nehemiah. Nehemiah dealt with the people who were intermarried. Mamish, you see, it's so amazing. You know, the, the greatest problem that faces the Jews today, we say, is intermarriage, right? One of the greatest problems. That was exactly what Ezra and Nehemiah were facing in the times when they when they came back to, uh, to the second base of Mikdash. They came back to Israel. So the Navi says that the two issues was that the stores were open on Shabbos. People were Mechalei Shabbos and that they intermarried. And they took such a tough, tough perspective on it. Amazing to see what they did in the powers of the court, this and that, and how they were ultimately somewhat successful in making sure that the second base of Mikdash um, got this, this, this started on the right foot. Well, the Kaftina, how do we know that we tie the person down, Vasrina, and we tie Mamash to a post and hit him? You know, Hardafa, and not only that, we do Hardafa. Hardafa means to pursue a person. To, we'll see what that is in a second. Anyone who doesn't listen again, who's going to keep their wife, will be put to death or uprooted or punished. Um, okay, now, what does it mean uprooted? What is the Pasuk saying here? That's the hardafa, which we said. But what is hardafa? My hardafa. What happens is, but first of all, we can excommunicate the person right away. And then we repeat the excommunication after 30 days if he hasn't done tshuva. So we'll do an initial excommunication and give him 30 days a chance to repent. After 30 days, he still hasn't repented, and then we repeat it. And then, and then we do the extra level of cheirim, which is, again, more of a physical separation after 60 days. So we're pursuing him, meaning we're repeatedly excommunicating him to make sure that he will listen. There's a conflicting view on what we do. We don't necessarily do two 30 days of, 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 of nidoy and then cheirim, but rather, we warn him on Monday, we immediately excommunicate him. If he doesn't repent, then what? Then on Thursday we do it again. If he's still unrepented by Monday, then we do the Chayim. So it's a lot quicker time span. Says the Gemara, this is all Rochista, that we wait. It's all for money. Where a person is not responding well to a money case. In other words, there's something where he's not paying something that the court said he should pay, so on and so forth. But if it's something where, you know, he's being, he's going against Torah, or, or even a Torah scholar, we're going to learn about this, how important it is to be a Torah scholar, then the excommunication comes immediately, even if somebody had no warning whatsoever. So all these warnings and being nice until finally we punish, that's all true for money issues. But when it comes to Kavadat Torah, Kavadat Torah, we put a person right away. And this is always the big, important concept of the Kavadat Torah, very, very scary um, to disrespect the Torah or the rabbi. There was a butcher who was who, who did something disrespectful to a Rav, the Rav Tuvi Baranash, Indo by Rava were appointed to look into it. In other words, they were um, it was they were appointed to punish him. Two of they excommunicated him. But then the butcher went and he appeased the person 
Um, he appeased the rabbi that he got in the fight with Rav Tobi Barmanish. Now that he appeased him, what should we do? We already excommunicated him. So if we stop and take him away from that communication, there hasn't been Shamta for 30 days. And evidently a Shamta is a ban. It has to be a minimum of 30 days. So we can't we can't stop and lift it right away. The if we don't release him, the rabbana need the meat. In other words, sometimes the the fact that the rabbana need it, this is such an interesting thing. That itself is a reason why we should take away the cherem because the whole thing was kavod and the rabbis need the meat, so we need the butcher. So what do we do here? This was the the, the predicament. So said, "Do you hear anything? What's the halacha?" So said, This is what said in the name of Shmuel. Tut asar tut shari. The tut asar and the tut is matter. That means we blow the shofar typically to put someone in cherem, and and then and then the same shofar that put him in cherem could be a shofar that takes him out of the cherem. So meaning to say, we don't have to wait thirty days. The same proclamation since it came through the shofar. As long as now we 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 blow the shofar, we can we can communicate that he's been released. Then that will be okay, even though thirty days haven't passed. Amalei Abai said, Maybe that's only for money that you we can say that even without thirty days is okay. Afkarusa, but again here he was mean to Nope, there always has to be thirty days that pass. So therefore we don't have Shmuel's halacha relevant here, and we're forced to wait the thirty days. So what do we see from here? We see a There are three people, three judges who excommunicate a person. We also We can't have three other judges who come and monitor him. Only the very judges who made the cherem have the power to take the cherem away. Where do we see that from? It was because he was Abai was the one who put him in cherem, and you see that Abai himself was trying to figure out how we get out of the cherem. So what's Pshat Abai is trying to figure it out? Because Abai was the one who put him in. So since Abai put him in, Abai is the only one who can get him out. And where do we see this? Dibailu, we once had a question. I regarding three three judges to excommunicate a person. What's the halacha? Could three other judges come and release him, or does it have to? Does the lifting of a cherem have to be done by the same? by the same judges who um, excommunicated him. So the Gemara says... Atashima, come in here. Someone who's excommunicated to the teacher. In other words... Here we're talking about someone who was stomped disrespectful. So we're not putting, 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 putting him into a total, total level. It wasn't Afkarusa where we're putting him totally in khair. But he becomes just excommunicated to the teacher, which is an interesting thing. It's like a personal thing, excommunication just to him. But if it's excommunicated to the teachers, then the students have to observe that excommunication as well. In other words, he's excommunicated to all the students as well. Um, because out of respect for the teacher. Whereas, the opposite, if he gets communicated to a student, to the Torah student, then the teacher doesn't have to observe the excommunication. Someone is excommunicated to his city, is communicated to the suburb, of a smaller city that's around it. Idea is, if you're, if you're menudah to something big, then you're always menudah to something small that's around it. Whereas the opposite, if you're, if you're, in, in a band, if you're excommunicated from the small suburb, you're not excommunicated to the big city where you are. Someone who's excommunicated to the Nazi has to, everyone in Klaiser is forced to observe that. that Someone who's excommunicated to, to, to the Stam, to a few people in Klaiser, the Nazi doesn't have to observe that. Let's say one of the students was excommunicated. I'm sorry, who excommunicated somebody else and then died. So, so one of the Torah scholars put somebody in Kherim. For let's say you know he was disrespectful to him, so so one of the Torah scholars put him in cherem, but then the Torah scholar died. His portion that he did cannot be revoked by somebody else. So let's say he was put by three people, and then one of them died. The remaining two people can't release the excommunication. It has to be given. Um, 
he has to be only done by the, uh, the van has to be lifted by the original person who made it. And we see from that long prize, Shemaim's last, we see three things. We see that a student who has communicated another person, out his own honor, says communication, his excommunication that he did is effective. Because that's the case that we're talking about. You know, he was menudah for one person, is not for somebody else, so on and so forth. So we see that there's such a concept that a, a Torah scholar can, per, if he was personally hurt by somebody, he can uh, put that other person in cherem, even though it's only for him. We see that every person can revoke his own portion, right? That was the idea. We said his portion is not revoked. We see it's like the nido is done through uh, through portions, and like there's this idea that you need everybody there to take away their portion. We see you have three people made uh, excommunication. You can't have three other judges do it because that was the point. We said that one person died, so his portion is stuck, so now we're stuck. So we see that we can't stop replace it with three other people. Now, okay, so this was the bride, so that was supporting Abai's decision um, with removing the butcher. Now the Gemara says, I'm remember, how do we paskin? Three judges excommunicate a person. Actually, we paskin that three other judges could come and uh, and remove the ban. It does not actually have to be the other three, the original three judges. I, the bride. What was with the bride? We just said, one, one student excommunicated a person, and then he died. His portion is not revoked. We see his portion is not revoked at all. In other words, even somebody else, someone, nobody else can do, do it for him. Lamar says, well, that's not what it means. It just means that we have to wait for three other judges. Meaning, let's say there was an original court of three and put him in a One of them died, so we can't stop him, have the two remaining people do it. But in a Hanami, it'd be fine if we had uh, if we had three other judges come along and take it and release it. Says the Gemara now, which again is the moderate form of Kherim, that's that, that has to last for 30 days. Nizifa, which is just a rebuke, which is a lower level. It's just, you know, he's disrespectful to one person. So it's not Nidoi. But he just has to behave humiliated in a, in a way where he's very humbled towards that one person. So that's just Nazifa, rebuke. That has to be seven days. Even though there's no proof to this time frame, but we can see an allusion to it by, by Miriam. If her father put in her face, wouldn't she be humiliated for seven days? So this is when Miriam got saras. She was outside the camp for seven days. That's a, this is an allusion to the time period of seven days. Our Nidoi ban in Bavel is equal to their rebuke in Eretz Yisrael. So meaning just as the Nizifa seven days, Nizifa did Hushiva, so too our Nidoi, even though it's more Hamar, it's a real excommunication, it's only seven days. So for some reason, in Bavel, the power was less. It seems maybe the power of the court was less. At any rate, that's the way that it works. In Israel, you have the rebuke seven days and excommunication for 30. In Eretz Yisrael, even the nidoi, the excommunication is only seven. Says the Gemara of Sula, where Bukhan Israel is only seven days. While Shimon Bar, Rebbe Bar Kapa, Yosher so Shimon, the son of Rebbe and Bar Kapa, one sitting and learning together. This is the big Rebbe's son. Kasha Ushmati, they had a Kasha learning. Amalev Shimon Bar Kapa, Shimon Bar Kapa, Davar said, Sarah Rebbe, he said, we need Rebbe. We need to ask Rebbe Yudahanasi here. Amalev Bar Kapa, Rebbe Shimon Bar Kapa says, Rebbe Shimon, Ma Rebbe Mazet, why? What's Rebbe going to say? See, disrespected Rebbe. In the disrespect of Shimon's father, he said, "Yeah, what's Rebbe going to say already?" So also, Shimon went, his son, Rebbe's son, and he told his father what Bar Kapar had disrespected him. So Ikbed, Rebbe was upset about it. Also, Bar Kapar One time afterwards, Bar came to appear in front of Rebbe. Amalei, Rebbe said to him, "Bar I don't recognize you." 
meaning I'm not interested in seeing you. Yavda Nakam also Badaiti Rapapa realized that Rebbe had taken it personally. He had a rebuke, a personal rebuke on himself for 30 days. It was like a self-imposed uh, rebuke. A very interesting thing that he was like, again, humiliated himself in front of Rebbe. So we see that from here. How long was the rebuke? It was 30 days in Eretz Yisrael. And it wasn't seven days. We said that the rebuke is only seven days. Mars says another story. It's another guess. Again, we're here with like the things of rebuke. So somebody's not that they're not listening to the court. It's just that they're showing some disrespect to one person. And the question is then when they rebuke, when they're meant to be humiliated in front of that person, how long is that meant to last? We said it lasts only seven days. But uh, the issue is then now we see that in fact it is lasting 30 days in the story with Rebbe. Says the Gemara, another story. Rebbe made a decree that there shouldn't be public teaching of Torah. Torah should be taught in private ways, not public. My Darash, what did Rebbe see to make such a such a, such a such a decree? Says the Gemara, the Pasuk says in Shir Shir that the hidden thighs are like jewels. What does that mean? The Torah, obviously everything there is a mushroom. My Yerach was to the thigh is something which is private. The words of Torah are supposed to be studied privately. We don't teach Torah in the marketplace, not publicly. However, what happened? Reb went out, the Talmud from Rebbe. Reb went out and he taught his two nephews in the market. Who is the Reb nephews? A little history here. Rav, the Amor Rav, was Reb nephew. Reb is one of the big Talmudim of Rebbe. And Rav is Reb nephew. And he taught Rav and Rabbi Barachana out in the marketplace. So Rebbe heard, he was upset. Rebbe was, was defying him. Sometime afterwards, Rebbe came to appear in front of Rebbe. Rebbe said to him, Who is calling to you on the outside? So instead of calling him Chia, he called him Ia, which is, which is like a not nice, not such a nice nickname here. So what happened? Rebbe realized that Rebbe took it personally. He was not happy with him. He therefore said he accepted upon himself a rebuke for 30 days where he was going to humiliate himself in front of Rebbe. And the 30th day, Rebbe sent to Rebbe, come. Then Rebbe sent him another message. Actually, you know what? I don't want you to come. Says to him, what's this change of heart from Rebbe? When he initially invited Rebbe to come, he allowed him to come. Why did he then send him a messenger not to come? Says to him, initially he held part of the days like the whole day. So lumdis here. There's a din, that, right? You have to do it with a rebuke for 30 days. So what about on day 30 itself? After a little bit of day 30 starts, do we say Misingam Kukulo and now the ban is over? Or do we say it has to be a full 30 days? Initially he thought Misingam Kukulo. At the end he thought we don't say Misingam Kukulo. So therefore originally he thought he, he sent him to come and then subsequently he sent for him not to come. It was a change of heart based upon whether we say mixas hayom kekulo or not. Like my Avelos, we're going to learn all about that. We get up from Shiva in the, in, the, in the morning of day seven. We'll learn all about the halachas. At any rate, Lasof Asa, Lamaisa, Rabchia came on day 30. So he didn't get the second message. I'm my office. Rabbi said, Why are you here? I'm You sent me a message. I should come. Rabbi said, What do you mean? I sent you a message in the end not to come. I'm like, I only saw the first messenger. I didn't see the second messenger. So Rabbi said, The Pasuk says, When Hashem favors a person's ways, even his enemies will make peace. Meaning it's like a sign from heaven here that uh, they're supposed to meet even though Rebbe had not wanted him, Lamaisa, to come. Now we get back to the original conflict. Should Torah be learned publicly or not? My time on the Rebbe said, why'd you do this? Amalei Rebbe said, it says wisdom sings in the street. All right, so that's the Pasuk here. It seems like we're supposed to be teaching Torah publicly. Amalei Rebbe said to Rebbe, if you read it once, you didn't read it a second time. If you read the Pasuk a second time, we can see you didn't read the Pasuk the third time. And if you read it a third time, you don't get the troop shot. What does it mean wisdom sings in the street? It's like that which Rebbe said. Anyone who learns Torah on the inside and then the learning will, will be known to the world out loud. Meaning if you learn inside privately with other Tamil Chachamim, then 
the Torah decisions that you make will be, you know, they'll be, you'll have a reputation. Everybody will know about what they say. It doesn't mean that you go out and teach the Torah publicly. It doesn't say, I didn't speak in secrecy. The Pasuk Hashem came to Sinai. We see that you, Hashem taught Har Sinai was very public. The teaching of the Torah was, you know, extremely public. So don't we see you should teach it that way? So the Gemara says, That Pasuk was only referring to the times of the Akala. Of course, Rebbe agrees that there are certain times where there are public lectures. Those are the ones that are done very publicly and there's a little bit of a thing you always have that but generally that's the exception almost like they say maybe so the, the exception that proves the rule so yeah there's, yes there's sometimes that Torah is meant to be taught uh, publicly at the Yarchekala but usually generally it's not supposed to be that way it's supposed to be it's supposed to be done private says the Gemara Kash and what did Rebchia do with the Pasuk Chabuki Rechayach right that was Rebbe's old decree that it's supposed to be private he says the Pasuk is not talking about Torah there the Pasuk is talking about Tzedakah and Gemilas Chasad and those things are done privately but in the Chanami Torah is meant to be public so this is an unbelievable Rebbe is very into that a whole decree don't teach Torah publicly Rebchia defies him Rebchia then has to be put in a, a self-imposed rebuke for 30 days but what's the conclusion of the, our question Alman Aziva to us and Musif that in Eretz Yisrael Aziva is 30 days Rav Chista said it was only 7 so the Gemara answers Aziva is Nasi shiny there Rebbe Nasi he was the Nasi so if he was the Nasi so then we see um, that, that he's more important he's a spiritual leader of everybody but an ordinary rebuke is only for 7 days so just want to pause for one second and reflect on this idea, the irony of how we have this dispute between Rebbe and Rebbe Chi about whether Torah is meant to be learned privately or not. It's fascinating. You know, Rebbe was living at a time when there was the ability to teach Torah publicly, like just to take a contrast. Rebbe is right after, you know, the generations of Rebbe Akiva and Nasarug and Malchus. And when Roman decree was so strong that 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 if you anyone would teach Torah publicly, they were killed. And we know all the people who gave up their life to teach Torah publicly. It's like an incredible thing. And they died and it was horrible, this and that. And now Rebbe Yudah Nazi lives in this amazing time. It's like a time of light. He has a very good relationship with Antoninus and he has a lot of, you know, cloud and good and lobbying with the Roman government. And he's able really to get whatever he would like. And this is the Shiloh. What are you going to do with it? If you have the opportunity, you know, you have endless opportunity to teach Torah. Think about where you come from just a couple of generations before people were dying teaching Torah. And now you have a connection with the Roman government and you're able to teach Torah. What are you going to do with that opportunity? So one approach, Rebbe, is let's go. Let's teach Torah publicly. Let's get it out there. Let's let's use everything we can. Make it as public as we can. Here the Gaim are with us. Rebbe Dahanasi says, no, 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 no. That's not the approach. The approach is to do it privately. What's the pshat? The pshat is that Rebbe Dahanasi did something different. He accomplished something else. He wrote down the Mishnah, and that's part of what the Gemara is referring to in the private thing, the people of the book. In other words, he used the ability that he had to gather all the Tamil Chachamim and the Beis Medrash, and privately they were able to bait back and forth all the traditions and texts and the Torah Shabbat that they had. They wrote down the Torah, they wrote down the Mishnah, and it was the privacy of the book which was protected the people. Because public teaching, you never know, it can come, it can go, there's going to be more anti-Semitic, this, that, it might not always be available to teach Torah publicly. The guy may not always let it. But the book, the privacy of the Mishnah, that's forever. That's eternal. And that's the godless of Rebbe Hanasi. He made a halacha. He made a legislation. Don't teach Torah publicly. Don't think that that's the light, that that's what Hashem is trying to send you, that in our time we should teach Torah publicly. There's going to come a time, a point in time where it's not going to be able to happen. But we have to make sure that we're making the book to preserve the future of the Jewish people. Says the Gemara, How long is our rebuke? Because we said in Bavel, 
our our excommunication is only seven days. Salana, how long is our rebuke? So the Mar says, it's only one day. Like the story with Shmuel and Marokva. would sit a four Amos away from Shmuel. Shmuel was the greatest person in learning. Since Shmuel was the greatest person in learning, Marokva humbled himself four Amos away from Shmuel. When they would sit in judgment, Shmuel would sit in front of Marokva four Amos away. Marokva was the head of the basin. He was in charge. So therefore, in that matziv, Shmuel humbled in himself. It's an amazing thing because Shmuel was really bigger. But in the basin thing, since Marokva was in charge of the basin, Shmuel humbled himself to him, sat four Amos away. They dug out a place for Marukva Bitsipsa. We covered it with a mat. He sat in a so that Marukva could hear Shmuel's words. Meaning, interestingly enough, when he was ruling over the court, he would sit lower. To, he was able to hear from Shmuel. It's like they're both trying to respect each other. On the one hand, Shmuel is observing to him in the court, but on the other hand, we really need Shmuel's advice out of Paskin in the court. At any rate, this is the way the system functions. Every day, Marukva would escort Shmuel to where he stayed. After they learned, after the court, they would Shmuel would, Marukva would, would escort Shmuel. One day, Marukva was busy, very busy with the court. Shmuel was walking behind him. In other words, it was taking a long delay. Came out to the basement and finally reached Marukva's house. Shmuel said, Like, what's going on? Do you don't realize that you forced me to walk behind you to delay? Like, what's what's going on here? Literally, Marabitigri, you should release me from this dispute, meaning, give me permission to go home myself. So, Marukva here. He's really subservient to Shmuel. Shmuel has to respect him as the head of the court. But one time, in that respect, it delayed Shmuel getting home and Shmuel was upset about it. So Yadu Nakhba Milsa Badaiti Marukva realized that Shmuel was upset. He had one day of rebuke for himself. So we see that the Nazifa in Abavo is one day. Says the Gemara Avi, it's a David Yasavishvila. There was a woman who was sitting on a path. I have a Pashakara. She stuck out her leg, blocking the path. She was winnowing her, her barley seeds there. There was a Torah scholar who was passing by. She didn't, you know, get up for him. She continued with her legs spread out there. Look how brazen this woman is. The woman came in front of Rav Nachman to figure out whether she had been excommunicated by that Torah scholar's remark. So, Did you hear the word Shamta come out of his mouth? Rav Nachman asked. She said, no, I didn't hear the word Shamta. Then it's only rebuking. You just do one day. That is sufficient. It's amazing power that these Torah scholars have. Can you imagine that today? Like Torah scholars, if anyone said disrespect for them, said something, they didn't listen to that, they just say, you know, you're in rebuke for the day. Says the Gemara, Zuchar Bar Tuvi was sitting and saying Pesukim in front of Rav Yudah. Kimati Lai Pesuka. He got to the following pasuk. Ve'elu Divrei David Achronim. These are David's last words. This is in, the, in, the, in Shmuel. So it says these are the last words of of David. So Amalei Zuchar said to Rav Yudah Achronim. These are David's last words. Mechalik Rishonim. What are their early ones? Rishonim. No, mind you. What are their earlier ones? Meaning like. It sounds like there's like a contrast, like these are the end versus what was before. What, what's the puzzle referring to? The end versus what's before, what's early, what's late. So Shasak won't let me review that didn't say anything back. He didn't know the answer, so he didn't respond. So how they're all late. So again, so you're asking the same question again. He repeated the question. What are the earlier ones? What are the earlier ones? I'm labor. If you just said, My title, what are you thinking? Someone doesn't know the answer is not a great person. I mean, he thought he's asking again to like embarrass him, like, ha ha ha, you don't know the answer. He's like, What are you doing to me? I don't know the answer. I don't know the answer. What do you want from me? So Yada the knock and mills up died. So Zuchbatuvi realized that Rafiuda had been uh, taking offense to what he said. He accepted upon himself voluntarily a rebuke for the day. Again, another proof, Nazifun Bavo is one day. 
Now the Gemara says, once we got to this problem, what's the answer to this question about David Amel's prophecy? These are the end of the prophecy. What are their first prophecies? What are their earlier prophecies? So the Gemara says, it says in the Pesach, David sang when he was delivered from his enemies and from the hand of Shaul. So David said, Shira, when David, when Shaul is gone. So Amalek was brought David. Remember, Shaul pursued David, tried to hurt him. David was the new king. So when, when Shaul was no longer a threat, David is singing. So you're saying Shira about the downfall of Shaul. If not for the fact that he that you're that, that, that you and Shaul he is David, would have destroyed many Davids in front of him. What do we mean to say? That if not for all the mazolos and things in the way it's supposed to be, then uh, you would have died. Meaning to say it's not that you're more it's not that you're, you're you're more worthy. If it would be switched, you're Shaul and he's David, there would have been money, David would have been destroyed. Meaning this is just the way the mazel is supposed to be. But in reality, Shaul was more righteous. It was a shigayon for, by David that he sang for Kush. Shigayon could mean many things. It could mean a type of musical thing, but shigayon could also mean an error. So David is saying, I made a mistake for singing about the downfall of Shaul. Because the truth is, Shaul was a great man. Shaul was a great man. And it was only the mazel and the way that it was supposed to be, Hashem orchestrated. But for me to sing about it is the wrong type of response. Says the Gemara, what's the Pshat? He's called Kush. Is he called Kush? He's called Shaul. Why is the Pasuk calling him Kush? Just as a Kushi, right? A black person. is different in his skin. So too, Shaul was so different in his Maisa, meaning he was like distinct. That's the idea. He's called like a black person who has distinct color of skin. So too, Shaul was distinct in his Maisa. We find this as well, Kushi, in another context. We're speaking Lashonar about Moshe that he took the Kushi woman. Was her name Kushi Lutziparshma? Her name was Tzipora. Ma Kushi Mishunabar Justice. The Kushi woman has a unique skin. After Tzipora Mishunabar Masa, Tzipora had very unique Maisim Tavim. It says the servants of the Kushi king heard. Is a pasuk in Yirmiyah. Well, Kushim His real name we're talking about is the servants of Sikya. Makushim Mishunabar of Sikya Mishunabar Maisa. We're saying that Sikya was unusual in his un- in his in his unbelievable Maisim Tavim. One more example. The pasuk of Torah that we read from Amos. Yisrael called Kushim. We're Kushim. Kushim and Yisrael Shmam. We're Yisrael. Makushim Mishunabar. Just as a black person has unique skin. We have distinct type of actions from the rest of the world. Now we go back other psukim there from the Pasuk and Shmuel with David Zufu. These are the words of These are the words of the man who is Hukam Ol. Ol is usually a yoke. He picked up the yoke. What is that referencing? Referencing. He picked up the Ol of Teshuva. Right, that was the whole thing. How David did teshuva for Bathsheba. So it could also mean ol can mean yoke. It could also mean a use or a benefit. And the point is that David's teshuva was effective. He sinned with Bathsheba, but he did teshuva and was accepted. David is the paradigm for the Baal teshuva. The pasuk there says, "Amar li diber Moshe 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 Hashem said that the rock of Klai spoke to me, the ruler of men, the righteous rule through the fear of Hashem. So what is going on here? My comment, what is the Pasuk saying? It sounds that like Hashem is the ruler of men and then it says that, the, that Tzadikim are the ruler of men. So which one is it? Amar B'Val Hachi comment is what the Pasuk is saying. Amar L'Kei Yisrael Yisrael Hashem said that the rock of Israel spoke to me. Ani Moshe Baldem, I'm going to rule over men. Me Moshe B, who's going to rule over me, Tzadik? Meaning Hashem says, I'm really the ruler but the Tzadik rules over me. How does the Tzadik rule over Hashem? Shani goes like there, I make Gzera Mavatla. The Tzadik da- davens and it cancels the Gzera 
One who sat over there. And, who, and, and the Pasuk goes on to talk about Adoni ben Etzni, and he stood over 800 corpses, the Pasuk says. So, my Kamar, what is the Pasuk saying? It says, Basheves, and then it says, Dachmoni. So, just look at the Pasuk for a second to understand. It sounds like we're talking about two people, Adoni the Etzni, and we're also talking, and it says, Basheves, and then we have a person of Tachmoni. So, which one, who are these people? So, I'm David. We're actually talking about the names of David, not his people, but his deeds. We're talking about David Amalek himself, not his people, but his deeds. Who was he? He was Yoshua Bashevis. On the one hand, he sat low. On the one hand, Tavra Melech was very humble. When he was learning Torah, he didn't sit arrogantly on mattress and cushion. He sat on the ground. He was humble. Whenever his teacher, Ira Yiri, was alive, Yiri would sit on the, on the cushions. But David was humbled himself in front of the king. When Yiri died, David would teach the rabbis. But still, he only sat on the ground. David was very humble learning Torah. The rabbi said, why don't you sit on the mattress? David did not accept on himself to ever sit on an elevated position. He only wanted to sit there on the ground. Then Tachkamoni, what's that? Amarav, You lowered yourself by teaching Torah on the ground. Tachkamoni, you're going to be like me. You're going to have the power uh, to cancel you're going to be on the level of Hashem. And he goes, I took your punishment and you can be mavatal it. Rosh Shalishim, the Pasuk says, you're the head of the Shalishim, you're going to be the leader for the three forefathers. And Olam Abba, you're going to be, you're going to be leading the Avos to their place. Who Adoni Etzni, he has Adoni the Etzni. What does that mean? When David would sit and learn Torah, he'd bend himself over like a worm. Again, he would learn Torah very humbly. He would harden himself like the wood. He was soft and strong at the same time time. I know I've mentioned this before, but in Florence, Michelangelo is beautiful, the, the sculpture of David Amelach, where, where they say that Michelangelo says, that, you know, I read the scripture and it was all to me all about seeing how, how David was so humble and so strong at the same time. And it's amazing to see that, I don't know, I don't know if it's worth anything, but that he was the Gemara, the Gemara is pointing out how this is the story of David. David is the worm and he's also hard like the wood. He was both at the same time and, and, and to understand that how it really seems to be a paradox in character, but it really is a beautiful balance and blend of David HaMelech is true in both. Hashanah says that David killed 800 people at the same time. What does that mean? Zarechitz, he would be able to get a weird ability. He could shoot one arrow. Kill 800 people at the same at one time. But he was signing over the 200 people, meaning he wanted to be able to kill 1,000 people at the same time. See the Pasuk says, How can one pursue 1,000? The Pasuk is saying that really if a person is a tzaddik, then one, you'd be able to shoot one arrow and kill 1,000 people. So David could only do 800, so he was sad about it. You know why you can't get 1,000? Because you're not totally a tzaddik. Remember the thing with Oriachit? You killed Bathsheba's husband to marry Bathsheba. So therefore, David did not merit uh, to kill 1,000 people at the same time. He only was able to kill 800. David was sad about it, but um, that, that was the punishment for killing Oriachiti. Okay, we'll stop here.